welcome to the Face the Misinformation podcast. The podcast with a new name, but the same game. We're looking at misinformation, fake news, and media bias, be it on the mainstream media, social media, or socio-political dialogue. I'm Christopher Dodd. Today, episode 10, The Two-Side Solution, The War in Gaza. Which side are you on, if you've picked a side? Today, we'll consider why you even have to choose one. Across the Divide is a BBC World Service radio show and podcast. It documents ongoing and current conflict between Israel and the Palestinians in stories told by individuals on each side. How refreshing is it to see the effects of international conflict from cross-perspectives in the media today? In the recent episode of the podcast, there's a very interesting discussion between two people who managed to cross that divide of two peoples to sustain a long-lasting friendship between them, a young Jewish lady and a young man who was a Palestinian-Israeli citizen. The young man spoke of his horror when he heard of the gruesome Hamas attacks in Israel on October the 7th. His Jewish female friend spoke of her concern for innocent victims of Israel's brutal response. As things progressed, it started off with look at how horrible this, like, I'm so sorry that this is happening and this is so horrible. And then a week later, like, wow, I'm seeing what's happening in Gaza. It's really hard to watch. And, like, I feel like we were able to support each other in in a way of opening a space for each of us to feel whatever we needed to. Hearing this conversation across the divide made one thing perfectly clear about the current war and the long history of other issues over this small expanse of land over the decades of this conflict, that two things can be right. Everything that this government has been doing and the radicalization that we saw and the, uh, you know, the extreme uh, behavior that it, uh, and irresponsible behavior that it, uh, it led in the West Bank and it exploded in Gaza on October 7th. Not that I'm saying the Israeli government is the sole perpetrator of, of, of October 7th, right? Because Hamas is the one that uh, conducted the attack. But I, I have questions over, you know, having a siege over people since 2008 till today and not giving a single other path. What did you expect that will happen? Two things can be right. I know. This is a concept hardly ever explored in today's style of hyper-partisan and polarized debate, but few events in foreign affairs have affected people as deeply as this conflict does, touching people in different ways all over the globe. So let's examine some of the issues in the conflict from what we'll call the two-sides solution. The idea that one truth does not cancel out another. But beware, you're about to hear both sides of each of these issues and... That may include one point of view that you don't agree with. Israel is a Jewish state formed out of a harrowing history and remains under a constant existential threat. True. Gaza is a Palestinian territory whose population was displaced and occupied by the Jewish state which faces that existential threat but which now threatens the survival of the entire Gazan population. That is also true. 
In that previously mentioned BBC discussion, the two friends agree that the history of the Jewish people as a people under constant threat for centuries and targeted for acts of hatred means that the need for a Jewish homeland is paramount. It is also undeniable that history also documents the clunky way that the State of Israel was created out of land that was then British territory that was called Palestine. The argument over who the land should belong to now will not be solved in this commentary. Concerning this recent outbreak of the long-running conflict, it's possible to see that the death of any and all civilians on any side caught up in this decades-old conflict is unjust. Fragrant whataboutism is rife in that debate, with each side justifying horrors committed by its side by referring to what the other side did first, not unlike a schoolyard conflict. Being limited to seeing this conflict from only one side is common. What is even more alarming is the way that such one-sidedism has taken place in the mainstream media. Sadly, there have been few media outlets that have been reporting the tragic outcomes in this war in an unbiased fashion, telling the whole story. Western media tends to focus on Israel's right to self-defense. Al Jazeera, the Qatari-based self-professed voice of the global south, which has reporters living, embedded and in some cases killed in Gaza, has been focusing on Palestinians as victims of occupation and aggression. And so it seems like what we need to do to get the full story is to consult different media sources and piece the truth together for ourselves. As Israel continues to bury its dead, the country is still reeling from the shock of the Hamas attacks. As details continue to emerge of how Hamas terrorists attacked and killed Israeli men, women and children in their homes, the Israeli president has told reporters that some bodies recovered showed signs of torture. And among Hamas equipment found in one of the communities attacked near the border, Israeli defense forces say they've recovered an ISIS flag. This is what's left of a three-story building in Beit Lahia, leveled by Israeli airstrikes in northern Gaza. Much of the north of the Strip resembles a wasteland, with no building and no body untouched by Israel's war. An old sick lady with her daughter-in-law and grandchildren were sleeping in their home. The house was leveled and they are still buried under the rubble. We managed to recover only bits and pieces of some of their bodies. There were at least 15 people inside. We could not recover a whole body, only bits and pieces. Families, forced to say goodbye, are inconsolable. We heard the airplanes just after midnight. We looked out of the window and saw flames and people screaming. There were more than 25 to 30 people in the house when it collapsed. Everybody scattered. Grief and loss go hand in hand in Gaza. In what the UN has called a death zone. Mike Apple, Al Jazeera. The barbarism of Hamas on October the 7th is undeniable, true. The Palestinian people are not Hamas, also true. The true extent of the barbarism of the Hamas attack on October 7th came clearer in the subsequent days and weeks. Acts too graphic to describe in great detail here include sexual violence as a weapon, murder, mutilation, and the kidnapping of 240 people, including babies, 
There is no question that these are the acts of horrific terrorism. That said, Hamas is more than that, seeing that it governs the Palestinian territory of Gaza, which includes running health and social services and education. A debate over whether media groups like the BBC should call Hamas a terrorist group seemed like a project undertaken by those building a case for legitimizing the Israeli response, while the Israeli response was already causing the mass dislocation of innocent civilians. So a lot of people noticed this. They noticed the BBC using words like gunmen and militants. And, and people thought, you know, especially lots of Jewish people, why are the BBC refusing to say terrorists for what seems like an ostensible terror attack, horrific images and videos we've seen on X? And the answer is it comes down to the BBC style guide where they... Is that right? So yeah, they, they don't want to call them terrorists. And presumably because of a concern about impartiality, no doubt. And obviously it's hard, but this is a clear example, I would say, of that going wrong. And it's not as if, by the way, it's not as if they're, it's the BBC trying to be impartial, but they're going too far because it's reasonable to use the word terrorist for Hamas. It reminds me a little bit of when the Washington Post called al-Baghdadi an austere religious scholar. That's right. It's not yeah. quite as absurd as that, but it's in that ballpark. Hamas's atrocities are not about resistance. True. The Israeli response is not self-defense. That is also true. At the time of writing, over 100 Israelis remain held hostage after months, with each and every one of them being used as a bargaining chip for Hamas to negotiate concessions such as a ceasefire. The, more practically, the hostages also provide cover for Hamas as Hamas attempts to avoid its own annihilation by the Israeli response, which is the stated objective of the Israeli military, along with the release of the hostages. That Israeli response has been called self-defense by the Israeli military and government, the United States, and media outlets worldwide. Self-defense is the apparent justification for the death of 25,000 innocent civilians so far, along with displacements, hospitalizations, food and water shortages, etc. Israel says Hamas embeds itself amongst the population in Gaza by blowing up buildings and neighborhoods, including allegedly hospitals and refugee camps, because a few terrorists might be inside, or at least nearby, is nonetheless against the international law, with the Americans providing cover the Israeli government and army to act with impunity. The Israeli people have the right to exist. True. The Palestinian people have a right to exist. Also true. That's a no-brainer, right? Both points are true and obviously so, except that we live at a time when debate is more like a zero-sum game. That means that for some, the existence of one state depends on the eradication of another. At the moment, it's important to remember that the Gaza Strip is not a state, nor even part of a territory governed by the Palestinian Authority. Gaza is a narrow piece of land cut off and isolated from Israel and Egypt and fronting the sea. It's an occupied territory. It has a right to resist occupation, but no means to do so, since Israel controls the entry and exit of everything such as weapons, food, medical supplies, and people. Even in a state of war, destruction, threat of death and displacement, the people of Gaza have nowhere to go, and the desperate situation is described by some as a state of siege. But Israel has a similar right to exist. Its problem is not lack of statehood, it has the status of a foreign state which affords it great power, including the backing of the United States. But, as we know, with great power comes great responsibility.
It has, in theory, the responsibility of living within international law, whereas those it sees as its enemies, like Hamas, do not. Thus, the situation is that Palestinian territories bear the disadvantages of being deprived of the benefits of statehood, while Israel eyes danger in having neighboring enemies who are not bound from international responsibilities. Gaza is led by those who do not want to negotiate the so-called two-state solution. True. Israel is led by those not interested in such a compromise either. Also demonstrably true. The two-state solution was never going to be a simple one, but the further complication is that leaders on either side are actually not working towards it, while blaming the other side for a lack of progress on the peace project. This is a process that came out of what is known as the Roadmap for Peace, which called for Palestine to have its own state and for both sides to live peacefully side by side. This partition was never going to be simple, but what's worse is that there are those who have been actively acting against it. Leaders on both sides have to decide what they want the future to look like. Those who do not want to make concessions must prepare for longer-lasting conflict, further death, and more war when the dust finally settles on this one. There are those on both sides who do not trust the other to be a peaceful neighbor, and that mistrust is based on past behavior on both sides, but time and money and lives are lost in the meantime. The rest of the world watches with great concern, including those who have no connection to the conflict. But we are not helping when we are taking sides, led by a media that is catering to our instincts to see the world in binary terms of good and evil without recognizing the dose of good and evil already demonstrated by both sides. I believe very passionately and very deeply in the existence of the modern state of Israel. I, I, I find it a, an almost unbearably emotive issue. But I can't allow that to justify what I see happening in Gaza. So you can't pick a side to coin that horrible, meaningless, reductivist phrase. Sadly, we live in a world where you're told to. You're, you're, oh, you're pro-Israel, are you? Then you must be anti-BBC. It's so pathetic to see how our population has been broken down into these sort of binary tub-thumpers. The Across the Divides podcast reminds us of that. In all conflicts, ordinary people just want to live ordinary lives in peace. First of all, it was important for me to talk to Ibrahim because it's one, he's one of my best friends, and I needed him during that time. I told him these conversations are so important for me because I don't want to lose my humanity. And I think that's why it's so important to have these relationships where it's like, you can really go down a narrow corridor and become short-sighted, I think. And then you have this one other person, and it's like, no, okay, but if there's one Ibrahim, there must be, there must be more. And so we should turn our attention to wondering more openly when Israelis and Palestinians grow tired of violence and uprisings and deaths and atrocities, and if not now, then when? The considerable compromises and concessions that would need to be made for this peace plan or any other to work will have to wait until then. But until then, both sides will need our support. And that's the Face the Misinformation podcast, episode 10. The Two-Sides Solution. If you've missed the previous nine episodes, all of which are now under our new name, you can search on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts.
You can also check our website and blog, misinformation-nation.com. That's misinformation-nation.com. I'm Christopher Dodd. Thanks for listening. See you again soon. Thank <laughs> you.